Well, good morning. Um, as always, uh, it is a joy to be together with God's people in worship. And uh, today we are continuing on with the sixth week of uh, what will be a seven-week series. So we're almost completed uh, with our Loved and Living Discipleship Series. Um, and what we've been going through is, uh, is what we have called the identity, the values, and, and the practices of disciples. Uh, so what we believe and what we have asserted is that we, uh, really with the call to discipleship, uh, with the invitation to be God's people that we have all received in baptism, that is a new identity that we receive in Jesus. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Part of that new creation that God has made in us is that we know that we are people who are loved by God, and we are people who, because of the work of Jesus, are now truly living. And with that new identity that we have received as this, these new creations in Jesus, this radically reshapes our values. We begin to, to value worship of Jesus rather than selfish pursuits in life, and we value, instead of individualism, the community of God's people that he has put around us, which then leads us to our practices. These practices, these ways of living that we seek to embrace as disciples. And Pastor Brad kicked off the first one of those last week with the practice of repentance, turning away from sinful habits and constantly turning back to that road of discipleship, that path of following Jesus each and every day. Which then leads us to our sermon for today, uh, this practice of devotion. And uh, first to reiterate uh, what Christy pointed out is uh, we started uh, a new thing for us here at Lamb of God a couple of weeks ago with Family Discipleship Night where we are working on making these habits of, of devoting ourselves to the scriptures practices in our home. And uh, a particular, just uh, kind of to reiterate uh, Christy's point, if you as a family uh, or as anyone in Lamb of God, if you didn't receive uh, the curriculum that we're using for family devotions in the home, uh, you can contact me. I have copies of those printed. Um, or if I run out of copies, we can, we can run off more or get those to you electronically as well. Uh, but that's a conversation for after worship. But first, what I would like to talk about really is this practice of, of devotion. And, and to get into that a little bit, I brought a couple of things with me today. Um, not something I, I often do, uh, but a little bit of an object lesson this morning. Who knows what this is? It's a fork. And if, if you can't see it, you should be sitting in these front two rows so you can actually see what's going on. It's a fork, right? Now, how do you know this is a fork? It looks like a fork, right? Now, presumably, you know it's a fork because once upon a time, before you probably even could say fork or, or understand any sort of inherent forkness, someone taught you this was a fork. As you were growing older and starting to develop those motor skills, your, your mother and father began to put this fork in your hand because they were tired of trying to feed you. And you began to learn how to use a fork and understand what a fork is and, and how it works. So, so ultimately, we know that this is a fork because long, long ago, we were taught by someone that this is a fork. Brought one other item with me today. A uh, little less common, but also equally as identifiable. What is this? 
a pipe, a tobacco pipe, mind you. Make that very clear. Now, once again, how do you know that this is a pipe? If you don't smoke a pipe, how, how, how would you know that this is a pipe? I heard Jim say, my dad. Right? right? You saw someone use this in a particular way. Someone taught you that this is a pipe. So perhaps your mom or your dad uh, gave you this, probably not when you were a child, hopefully not when you were a child. Uh, this particular one was given to me, and uh, I was instructed to use it by Pastor Malone. So I know <laughs> that this is a pipe because of Pastor Brad. So thank you, thank you for that. Now, what if you were taught to use one or both of these items differently? What if you were taught that this was not a fork for eating? but was an instrument for some other purpose. And, and the same with this one. Has anyone out there seen The Little Mermaid? It's a Disney movie from, from 1989. And in the movie The Little Mermaid, the main character, Ariel, is fascinated with life on land. All of these two-legged creatures walking around. And, and she is fixated on the way that they live. And so she has this friend, a seagull by the name of Scuttle. And what's, what Scuttle does for Ariel is, is he goes among the humans and he brings back all of these different fascinating artifacts from life on land among the humans. I promise this will make sense eventually. <laughs> and so in one of the early scenes of the movie, Ariel is conversing with Scuttle and he's brought her these great, great treasures from, from the humans who walk on the land. And he brings her a fork. Only according to Scuttle, it's not a fork, it's what he calls a dingle hopper. And what a dingle hopper is used for, according to Scuttle, is for combing one's hair. He instructs Ariel that this is an instrument that humans use each and every day to, to comb their hair and, and make things look far more orderly. And, and then he pulls out another artifact from on land that looks much like this. Only he doesn't say it's a tobacco pipe. He says, no, 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 no. This is a snore flap. And a snore flap is an instrument that humans use to make music and blow bubbles. And so you see then later in the movie that these interpretations from Scuttle begin to shape the way that Ariel understands how these instruments are used. That this, if I can get it out again is a dingle hopper to comb one's hair. And this is a snore flap for one to make music and bubbles with. Now, although this is, is just sort of a goofy, silly scene from the movie, what it actually invites us to do is, is consider this question of how do we interpret reality around us. And not just benign things like forks and tobacco pipes, or, or if you prefer, dingle hoppers and snore flaps. But, but how do we interpret the meaning of life, the, the purpose behind it all? What is it that shapes our understanding of reality around us? What do we look to for, for answers to questions like, why are we here? What is our purpose? What is good, right, and, and just? What is true? 
How do we understand these things? And the reality for all of us is there are constantly things, different voices, different scuttles, if you will, interpreting the way that we see the world. Things that we use knowingly and unknowingly to understand the world around us. Oftentimes it's the voice of of media, the news, entertainment, things of that nature. The news channel that we turn into probably shapes the way that we see what are good political stances and what are not. The entertainment that we tune into has a way of shaping what is good, what is pleasing, what is right, what is just. What are worthwhile pursuits in life. Now, if it's not those kinds of things, for others, it's, it's maybe science and, and the, the sort of view of naturalism. And so these things are what t- interpret reality for us, that things ultimately comprise of just the way the world works. And things are just the sum of their physical parts. One of the ways that we're often taught to interpret the world is just simply through ourselves. That I just get to decide what is right, what is true, what is good, what is just. Now, none of these things are necessarily inherently bad. I think it's important for Christians to be engaged with the world around us. We should be engaged in politics. We should even be somewhat engaged in entertainment, understanding the way the world is thinking and and operating. I think science and, and nature are good gifts from God for us to understand the way the world around us works. We as God, God's creatures have been given our reason and, and our senses to understand the things around us. But the reality is, is that these things by themselves, at least for the Christian, are insufficient for the way that we interpret the world around us. News media and, and entertainment, these things have incredibly different purposes in mind than the kingdom of God. Science and, and nature, while it can tell us a lot about the way the world works, it can't give us any sort of inherent purpose or, or meaning behind any of it. And the reality is, is that you and I as individuals, if we see ourselves as the sole interpreters of our reality, we're constantly being shaped by other things. In other words, none of these things by themselves are entirely trustworthy ways of interpreting the world. They're not entirely trustworthy scuttles for understanding whether this is a fork or a dinglehopper. Whether this is a pipe or a snorflap. So what then is it for us as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, that we use to interpret the world around us? In our epistle lesson this morning, uh, Tim, or, excuse me, Paul is writing to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. It's the second letter that he's written to Timothy. And in the chapter that we read from, Paul is sort of giving this warning to this young man who is serving a congregation about things that are taking place around him and things that will take place in the world around him. He says that people will arise and because of their sinful inclinations, they will be in opposition to the truth. 
He cites from the Old Testament an example of, of the ways that, that people opposed Moses as the servant of God's truth. And then after Paul warns Timothy of what will one day arise, he turns around and he actually commends Timothy because he has not lived as one in opposition to the truth. Here's what he says from our epistle reading this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes, You, however, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord persecuted me. So Paul here, he commends Timothy saying, even while I was undergoing persecutions of all kinds, even though I was undergoing opposition, you remained faithful to my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. Paul commends Timothy for his devotion to Paul's ministry. Even though there was reasons for him to abandon it, he remained faithful to it. And so then Paul turns around and he warns Timothy that very likely he and those who are faithful will undergo the same treatment that Paul has. Verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So because of those who oppose the truth, those who desire to live a God-pleasing life, those who desire to remain faithful as disciples of Jesus, will likely at one point or another face some kind of persecution. So what then is Timothy to do in light of this information? Should he abandon Paul's teaching? Should he abandon faithfulness to the gospel? Should he sort of reinterpret how he understands what is good and what is right and pleasing in the sight of God? No, Paul continues, verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul's ultimate conclusion in light of what he has faced, in light of what Timothy and the faithful likely will face, is to remain devoted to the scriptures. Remain devoted to the teachings that have been passed down from God's people. Remain faithful to them. Continue to be taught by them so that your understanding of the gospel and the world around you would grow. Continue to be rebuked by them. So when we step out of line and we wander into sin, that we would hear that rebuke, that we would hear that we're in the wrong, and in turn be corrected by them. So that not only we would know what is wrong, but also that we would know the path toward what is right. Ultimately, be trained by them. 
so that the righteousness of God would be made known through us. You see, in order to be prepared for the Christian life, we must be people who are devoted to, people who are immersed in, people who are shaped by the Scriptures. That is Paul's call to Timothy and to the church. That we would be people who are shaped by the Scriptures. And you see, here's why I think devotion to the Scriptures, being shaped by the Scriptures are so important. is because there are countless competing voices in the world around us. Countless voices, countless scuttles trying to encourage us different ways of interpreting reality. All sorts of things wanting us to listen to them saying, go this way, go that way. This is right, that is wrong, this is good, this is just. And when there's all kinds of competing voices, the reality is we tend to get confused, don't we? Which path do I follow? Which voice do I listen to? Which way is the right way? When there are signs pointing in every single direction, which way should I actually go? And when we're com- confused by competing voices, the inevitable reality is, is we will tend to forget. We'll tend to forget what God has said about us. We tend to forget the way that he has called us to go. We tend to forget what he has done. And it's when we forget that we find ourselves wandering off into sin, wandering away from the path of discipleship. And so the reason that we devote ourselves to scriptures is so that we wouldn't forget, but that we would remember. We devote ourselves to Scripture so that we would be taught, so that we would be rebuked, be corrected, put back on the path that we have been called to go on. We remember the Scriptures in order to remember what God has said about us. That He has said because of Jesus, because of what He has done, we are already people that are loved. We don't have to earn favor from the world or from anyone else because we already have the favor of God In his son Jesus. We read the scriptures. We devote ourselves to them. So that we would remember and not forget. That we already have the promise. That we are living. We don't have to go and try and find life. In a bunch of empty promises. Because we've already been given life. In Jesus Christ. We read and devote ourselves to the scriptures in order to remember who God says we are and what God has already done. This is why Paul says that these holy, sacred writings are able to make us wise for salvation. It's not because this book is somehow magic. But it's because that these words, this book, as God-spirited, God-inspired words are intended to point us to the one who has already earned salvation for us and for the entire world. The competing voices tend to confuse. And when we're confused, we tend to forget who we are. We forget what God has done. 
So we read the scriptures in order to remember. To remember who God says we are. To remember that He has made us His children. To remember that He has already forgiven every single sin. And to remember the way and the place where life is found. There is a a collect. Uh, A collect is, is just sort of a churchy word for a prayer. And, and it's written by a man by the name of, of Thomas Cranmer. Thomas Cranmer was uh, sort of one of the major figures at the heart of the English Reformation. Uh, would have been somewhat congruent with the, the, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, which uh, Martin Luther, our guy, was at the heart of. And he writes uh, what is known in the church as, as the collect for the word. It's often the, the collect assigned for the day, uh, one of the Sundays in Advent. And I love the words of this collect because it not only praises God for the gift of his word, but it continues to ask that God would use his word to accomplish his work among us. Here's how it goes. It's probably going to sound familiar to some of you. It goes, Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, Read them, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. That by patience and comforts of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessed Lord, he has caused all scripture to be written for our learning. And so we pray that those words would continue to live among us, to do their work among us, so that we would be trained by them, so that we would learn from them, be rebuked by them, be corrected by them. We devote ourselves to the Scriptures so that we would remember what God has said is good, what is right, what is just, what is holy in His sight. But even more so, we devote ourselves to the Scriptures because it is the Scriptures that point us to the greater Word. It is the words and pages of Scripture that point us to the Word made flesh. It points us to the One who is so deeply devoted to us and His love for humanity that He willingly gave Himself into death so that we would have life. People of God, devote yourselves to these words. Devote yourselves to these words so that you would be drawn to the one who makes you wise for salvation. Amen?